I love Jared Allen. Fear the The frog. Pow! With the right hand. That's our boy Bob Schmidt. (laughs) Jared Allen with authority. This is the Fear the Fro podcast, a Cleveland Cavaliers and NBA podcast with Bob Schmidt. Nobody's going to subscribe. Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast, a post victory edition one and two. Now, I know on paper that sounds terrible, but I'm counting the first game as a moral victory, as I said on the previous Fear the Fro podcast. And that second game, okay, we got the doors blown off in the fourth quarter, a theme that has carried out throughout the beginning of this season. And certainly tonight, we had a rough fourth quarter. We were outscored, but we held on. And that's the important thing, because not only were the Hawks trying to defeat us, but there was some very suspect calls towards the end there. The goaltending by Clint Capella that did not get noticed. The Trey Young foul, which was a foul, I'll give him that. But I didn't think that that was in the act of shooting. And of course, our beautiful Spaniard was punched in the face. And that will not stand. Ricky Rubio, a true legend tonight, along with Evan Mobley. Those two guys propel this team to a victory. Evan Mobley with a fantastic first half and the team as a whole with a great third quarter at one point scoring 21 points in a row from the late second quarter into the early third quarter. They came into halftime trailing the Hawks and then at one point their largest lead was 14 points. They stormed out of the gate. At one point I want to say it was 67 to 58 perhaps. Big win for the Cavs, a big third quarter, and we've seen some excellent third quarters. And while I haven't agreed with everything that Bickerstaff has done, I will say, I think for all the criticisms we're going to hear at times, because there are moments like against that Grizzlies team and the Hornets team where when this team collapses in the fourth, the fingers are going to get pointed at him. But the man deserves some credit. When we come out of the locker room in these second halves, we've strung together some excellent third quarters. And tonight, being the best one, the most complete game we've seen from the Cavs thus far this season in defeating one of last year's Eastern Conference finalists, the Atlanta Hawks, at full strength. In a way where we saw Trey Young very limited in his effectiveness tonight. There were moments where Evan Mobley got switched out onto him and normally a rookie versus one of the most prolific offensive scorers in the league, that would not work out. But tonight, we saw Trey Young hand the ball off multiple times when Evan Mobley was switched out onto him. A very encouraging sign for our defense, which laterally were not the most mobile, but good luck driving into those towers. Tonight, we got to see four block shots from Evan Mobley. We got to see two steals from Allen and Markinen, a couple of block shots from Markinen, a rusty beginning to the season in terms of shooting. He's only 12 for 40 to begin the year, 36%, and that's not great. He has not shot well in any of these games. Tonight was his worst game, shooting-wise. But despite missing that corner three that effectively would have hammered the nail into the coffin, we saw him get to the line to seal the game on a hustle play, and we saw that multiple times this game. Eight rebounds. The one thing you can say for Lowry Markinen is, Isaac Okoro was not an offensive threat last year, and he also didn't do much in the way of creating second opportunities, where here... Lowry Markinen is a far more aggressive player offensively who's simply not hitting his shots. But the work he's doing on the boards and creating difficult opportunities around the rim for some of these guys. I mean, tonight, three of his eight rebounds were offensive rebounds, including a critical tip out on an offensive rebound. The Cavs had missed a shot, got a second opportunity, missed that look, 
and Lowry Markkinen tipped out a pass, well, a controlled rebound, to Isaac Okoro, who hit his only three-pointer of the game at a critical time. I know that if you look at this game from Lowry Markkinen, you say, ugh, three for 15, that is a terrible game. Well, that is the best-looking three for 15 game that I have seen because I wasn't that upset with what happened. He missed his shots, but the activity was there, the hustle was there, the aggressiveness was there. We have seen it pay dividends for the offense of this Cavs team. It looks light years better. And I'm not putting that all on Lowry Markkinen. A gigantic, gigantic part of that is due to Ricky Rubio and Evan Mobley. They, tonight, also were phenomenal. Really, those two were the stars of the game, the guys that propelled us to this victory. Rubio with his best scoring game of the season, 23 points, 8 assists, 6 rebounds, just some dogged defense. He didn't fill up the stat sheet defensively, only one steal tonight, but look at the results on the other end. The Hawks could not buy a bucket. Hunter shot terribly. Collins, very quiet. Trey Young, very quiet. Kevin Herter, very quiet. Cam Reddish, excellent. I will give him credit. He was phenomenal tonight. 19 points, 6 boards, hit over 50% of his shots, knocked down three three three-pointers. He is playing like a man who knows that a payday is coming. The Cavs only turned the ball over 10 times, which is excellent compared to regularly during the preseason. We were seeing 20 turnovers plus. We were seeing 17, 18 turnovers. This kind of complete game where we protected the ball, where Sexton picked his spots and attacked. Collins' line didn't overwhelm anyone tonight. It it is not like last night when the Cavs got blown out by the Hornets, but tonight in a win, I'm perfectly content with a Colin Sexton game where he gives us 12 points and five assists because he's proving that he can play off the ball. We put a competent floor leader like Rubio alongside him, and hopefully what Garland will continue to progress as. And Colin Sexton is going to make his life so much easier to not have to bear the burden of doing all the scoring for this Cavs team. If you look across this starting lineup tonight, Rubio led the way. In scoring, which is not going to be the normal activity here. It had Markinen hit even half of his shots. He's probably the leading scorer. But we got 17 out of Evan Mobley in just his third game. 17 points, 11 rebounds, four blocks. Got aggressive early, made an impact in that first half, and played big minutes. Tied for the team lead, 35 minutes. This is a guy who's proving he can stay on the floor without fouling. Very competent offensively. He's fantastic defensively. Now, Lowry Markkinen is always going to be operating at a disadvantage when he gets a mobile wing who can drive. But to have those guys behind him is quite the luxury. And he's doing what he can to slow people, and he's getting on the glass. So I know there are people who are saying, we got to pull the plug on Lowry Markkinen based on these box scores. But if we're watching these games, this is what I wanted out of the small forward position. Somebody who could space the floor. Somebody who would be aggressive in a way that hopefully is facilitating easier looks for our other big men in Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. Now maybe long term, we'll find a better solution at the three. And Markkinen will become the eventual replacement for all of Love's minutes and spell everybody in the front court. And if that's the case, so be it. He's locked up for four years. That can happen. But in the present iteration of the Cavs, I want to give this experiment a long leash. Because even if Okoro was to become the starting small forward again, Markkinen is still going to have to play plenty of minutes alongside Allen and alongside Love and alongside Mobley because Mobley and Allen are simply too good 
to keep off the floor for long stretches, Mobley especially. This kid is going to play 35 to 40 minutes night in and night out as this season rolls along. And Ricky Rubio, what an early stretch of games. I realize he's taking advantage of Garland being out of the lineup, and certainly we probably shouldn't expect this, but it's not about the numbers he puts up. It's about the, the way that he plays, the steady style that he plays. I don't care what his counting stats will be. He is having a massive impact on the Cavs being able to play more consistently with a wider array of personnel on the floor. And already I've seen tweets and some reactions about, oh man, this guy is going to bring us something back at the trade deadline. I hope not. I think there comes a point where you have to look at where your team is in their development and say, this is a guy that we should want to keep around. At his age, he's undoubtedly going to cost us less next year. And if he continues to excel in this role as our third guard, who's playing 25 minutes a night, even when Garland and Sexton are back, it's going to help us develop as a team. And is it really worth it shipping him off for what? A late first round pick? Look at who our late first round picks have been. Kevin Porter Jr. Didn't even last here long enough to show his skills. Dylan Windler, who hasn't been able to stay on the floor. Shannon Brown. Booby Gibson. Christian Ienga. In the late part of the first round, it's a total crapshoot most years. So me personally... I don't know that I would want to use Rubio in any trade bait. It's situational. I guess it would have to depend. But even if we pile up losses this year, and of course, I'm doing this podcast after a win. So I'm high on the potential that we are seeing from Evan Mobley. Two of his first three games have been far more impactful than I expected that he would even be playing towards the end of this season. I will say I was wrong. I expected there to be a far longer learning curve, and he is making massive strides from the moment of the first preseason game. Seeing that summer league, I thought, well, curb your expectations, Bob. But watching him progress through this preseason and get more impactful pretty much with each passing game, and then how he came out against Steven Adams and Jaron Jackson Jr. and the Grizzlies, a very formidable front line, I thought, oh, I might have been wrong on this one. And by tonight, I thought, ah, oh, Christ, why didn't I draft this kid in fantasy? I'm a moron. So now I have to live with that regret. I took Jonas Valanciunas ahead of him. What the fuck was I thinking? I know. Total traitor to my own team. And now I have to live with it. But I'll happily watch him destroy me if it means that that comes with the kind of cavalier success that we all hope to see. He's in the Rookie of the Year conversation next week. I guarantee it. As we see these national shows start reacting to these first few games from him, I thought for the most part, John Morant stole his shine. After the first game, people were talking about what Ja did, understandably so. Miles Bridges had his way on Friday, and since he was playing a lot of minutes at the power forward, Mobley was going to bear some of the brunt of that. But tonight, seeing what he did against what many consider one of the marquee teams in the East, he is going to start to get the respect that he is earning out there on the court. So, for a one and two team, I mean, next weekend, that'll be the real barometer because the Cavs are going into a road swing where they play Denver. They play both L.A. teams. They play the Phoenix Suns. This is not going to be an easy stretch of games by any imagination. And those teams have some of the best big men in the league. Jokic, Anthony Davis, DeAndre Ayton, nobody on the Clippers. Marcus Morris is a trash human. But everyone else has some formidable challenges for Mobley to really get a sense of where he's going to sit amongst these elite guys in the early part of this season. So I'm stoked. 
I'm feeling about as good as you can after a one and two record. I can't wait to see what the season has in store for this Cavs team. I hope Garland is back sooner rather than later, but to be honest, I'm loving this Ricky Rubio starter minutes thing. He has been fantastic. And Sexton, I'm loving the pressure being taken off of him. Here's what I'm thinking with Colin Sexton at this moment. I mean, it vacillates because I will say last night he was absolutely unbelievable. And when I say last night, I mean against the Hornets. He put together one of those games that make you understand that Colin Sexton can just score buckets. Tonight's game was quieter, but what I love is the idea that we may not need that from Colin Sexton night in and night out to remain competitive in these games. Last season, if there was a game where Colin scored 12 points, we probably lost by 40. Whereas this season, there are going to be times because of Mobley, because of Markinen, because of Rubio and whatever progression we see from Jared Allen, we may not need Colin Sexton to bear this insane burden of being all things to all people. And the other benefit of that is that we'll see a lot of this criticism die down. Colin Sexton isn't going to get nearly as much hate, even if he scores less points with more wins. Colin has always been held to an impossible standard. You cannot find players in the NBA who do what he does and carry the burden of the offense the way he has at his age. I mean, you can, but they're truly transcendent generally. But most of those guys are just generational type players. Luca, Trey, those guys are more equipped to produce wins while putting up crazy numbers. Colin Sexton is a great player, but he's not on that level. However, he's essentially judged by that level because he's the alpha on the team. And he has been since the age of 20, which is almost impossible to do without getting criticism. This season, if we win more and he produces less from a statistical standpoint, who cares? Because most of the criticisms of Colin's game from the outside community have always been slanted to the idea that he doesn't produce enough for other people, which is asinine to judge him by that standard because he's a two-guard. We have Rubio and Garland. They are going to accumulate far more assists, as they should. Colin Sexton is not here to fill that role on this Cavaliers team. He's here to get buckets, and efficiently. And if he does that, whether that's 15 points a game or 25 points a game, that's a win. The money will sort itself out. I don't like to get caught up cherry-picking box scores to discredit a guy. If guys hit their looks, he'll get some counting stats in the way of assists. But he's primarily here to be able to score buckets efficiently when we need them. With Rubio and Garland in place, I don't really care what his playmaking is, so long as he's making the correct plays in the flow of the game. If guys hit those buckets or not, if at the end of the game he ends up with five assists or two assists, it's immaterial to me. If the flow of the offense is significantly better, and so far in this first three games, it feels like that the offense has taken a significant step forward. And it's not fair to Colin. I want to come out of a season and be, oh, he averaged 18 with three and four, and he did it on great efficiency, and be just as happy as I was at the end of the last season looking at all the counting stats he accumulated. If we're not getting all of that out of him, it simply means that we've put a lot better options around him, which is really all most of us who are Cavs fans should care about. It's one thing to ride for your guy and defend Colin Sexton. Wins will do that for you. If he's a positive force 
who's scoring less points than people like that coward in that SI article who called him an asshole who only cares about numbers, will just have to eat their words. Same type of thing happened to Zach Levine, and now he's on a roster with a lot more people around him, and they'll probably get a lot more wins, and we'll see that narrative disappear. Because if you looked at last season with Levine, he had one of those statistical seasons that was insane, took a massive leap in efficiency, took a massive leap across the board and everything. I mean, he was getting more threes. He was shooting over 50%, which for a volume shooter who shoots 20-something times a game, that's ridiculous. And there were still people picking him apart and saying, well, he doesn't defend. He's a losing player. Look at the Bulls suck. I'll be excited to see what happens with the Bulls and see what happens with that narrative because I think Sexton is suffering from a lot of the same thing. If you succeed in relative obscurity where people are just making their assessments of you based on box scores, then certain narratives are very difficult to dispel. So we head into next week, next game up, Monday, against the Denver Nuggets. Jokic, Mobley, Allen, Michael Porter Jr. I'll be back with a Fear the Fro podcast. Please listen to past episodes, subscribe, rate the podcast, at Fear the Fro Pod. That's where I am on social, on Instagram, on Twitter. I am Bob Schmidt, the voice of Fox Sports Radio, and this has been a post-win, one win in the books. Post-win episode of the Fear the Fro podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, that's enough. Stop it! This has been another Fear the Fro It's over. Podcast. That was pathetic. If you enjoyed what you heard today, put it on the highlight reel. Please consider subscribing. Check out FroPod.com for more Cavaliers and NBA coverage. That's what's on display here.